Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. In my home this afternoon is my friend Marcus Hayden. Welcome to the podcast, Marcus. Thank you. It's good to be here. I'll just give you like a little bio of Marcus um, before we get started so you know who you're listening to and his story and a little bit of things we'll be discussing. Uh, Marcus is a gay Latter-day Saint. He is 19 years old. He's a graduate from Kaysville High School. No? From Farmington High School. Farmington High School. Grew up in Kaysville, class of 2020. Marcus is attending Utah State. He's a biochem major. And he would love to find a career, do a career teaching and research in that area, the chemistry area. So Marcus has academic skills that always scared me in my <laughs> bio and chem classes at, in high school back in my day, Marcus. So well done. Uh, Marcus is planning on going on a mission. And so we'll talk a little bit about his decision as a gay Latter-day Saint to go on a mission. Um, we visited about that beforehand and um, really moving to hear some of his speedings of why he wants to serve a mission. Um, I became aware of Marcus, our mutual friend Raymond, sent me a copy of a talk he gave um, recently. Marcus, even though he's at Utah State, he worked at BYU during the summer of 2021 in the chemistry department, attended a YSA ward in Provo, and gave a talk, a really good talk, about creating Zion in our congregations. And so I think what we'll do is have Marcus just you know, give that talk. It's not a long talk. And then we'll just kind of talk about his story as a gay Latter-day Saint, when he came out, his reaction, his parents, priesthood leaders, um, his decision to serve a mission, um, why he wants to serve a mission and some of the things that will, you know, we'll, I'll ask him, does he, will he talk about being gay um, to people in his mission? Will he keep that to himself? So stay tuned for his answers on that. Is that okay for a bio, Marcus? Yes. Um, we started with a prayer and we just pray that you'll feel Marcus's spirit. And if you're LGBTQ, that some of the things Marcus shares will help you. If you're a leader or a parent, that some of the things Marcus shares with you or the spirit will help you better know how to be in this space and help people that are in this space. So go ahead, just start with this talk, Marcus. Awesome. In high school, my social circle was centered around my lunch table. We would all meet at a certain table for lunch. Sometimes we'd fill the table, and sometimes there were only a few of us. I didn't consider us to be the cool table since we weren't all, since we weren't, but we felt good about inviting people to sit with us at lunch. We didn't expect them to sit with us every lunch, but we always had a seat open for them. After several months, we would pull over several extra chairs so everyone could sit at our table. There was no need to turn away people that wanted to join us. We always made sure to scoot over. In Elder Gong's recent conference talk, he reminds us Christ entreats us to make his grace, his church, a place of grace and space where each can gather with room for all. In this comment, Elder Gong exhorts us to do as Christ would in scooting over on the pew for each kindred, nation, tongue, and people. I love this talk because it tells of how even though even there was, there, there was no room in the inn for his birth, through his resurrection, there's room for all of us in Christ's inn. Today, I'd like to focus on the topic of while it seems that there's no place for me, I always have a place with Christ. While some days it is hard for me to go to church, I believe for me and everyone else, there's a place for me in the church. 
Going to church can be hard for many. Still, it is because of Christ that we find rest into our souls. I used to think that church was only hard for me. Now, I realize that everyone fights for their faith. Christ knew we would need to fight for our faith, so he gave us the Holy Ghost to comfort us. Elder Holland echoes this when he insists, Christianity is comforting, but not often comfortable. We can't expect faith to come easily. We fight for our faith. Since I now understand that many people fight for faith, I give them more grace. It has helped me to consider the ways church can be hard for people, like the mother managing several young children in sacrament meeting while her husband is serving on the stand, the single member who hasn't had the opportunity to marry, the black saint who reconciles harmful past church policy, or converts who are beginning their fight for faith. Thus, I can minister by listening to members difficulties in going to church. With them, I can say at times, it can suck going to church. I see that. Yet I have received so much good from church. It is worth staying. My point is not to shout for shouting's sake. Shout that attending church can hurt for shouting's sake. But it is to validate people's pain so we can lift up the hands which hang down and strengthen the feeble knees. Some members have thought to prescribe additional prayer and study. While prayer and study are great, additional prayer and study do not heal the pain I feel in going to church. Mourn with me as I mourn, comfort me as I stand in need of comfort. One can have faith and have church still be hard. As we see people's pain, we can then make church a place for all to partake of its goodness. While some church critics assume our church is founded on exclusion, I have experienced otherwise. I know Christ has made room for everyone to belong at church. All people have a place in the church. This is why we invite every kindred, nation, tongue, and people to come into Christ. In 2 Nephi 26.33, Nephi writes on how all have a place in Christ's church. He inviteth all to come unto him and partake of his goodness. And he denieth none that come unto him, black and white, bond and free, male and female, who remembereth the heathen, and all are alike unto God, both Jew and Gentile. In other words, it does not matter who you are. There is a place for you. If I had to guide church critics to one verse, it would be this one. Yes, all is not well in Zion, yet. I believe we will get to a time where all feel deeply welcome in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I hope all can partake of Christ's goodness. I reaffirm Charlie Bird when he pleads, If you're wondering if there's a place for you with God, I promise you there is. I bear a solemn, strong, powerful testimony that if you pray and ask God if he loves you, and if there's a place for you in the kingdom, he will respond with a resounding yes. You will have absolutely no doubt that you are loved. This is what our church is founded on. Our heavenly parents plan for our happiness. I have, I have a place in this plan of happiness. I have known this from meeting with the dear church leader. As I confided with him, he told me, there is a place for you. I emphasize everyone has a place in this church, even though a place can be hard to find. As saints, we must make church a place of grace and space for all. One can feel pain going to church, Our church is not founded on exclusion. I must do my part to make my spaces places for all to partake of Christ's goodness. They have carried a truth too heavy to bear alone with me. 
because I've been because I've been given much grace and space, I too must give grace and space to others. How will I give this grace and space to others? I see that they may not feel that they have a place at church. I can give them grace and space as they seek their place in this church. Ultimately, it is through Christ we are, who was who despised and rejected of men, we are given a place. We all have a place in his plan for our happiness. I know even though my life does not fit neatly inside the family proclamation, there is a place for me at church. I know how wonderful it is my friends and family have helped me find a place. I know God loves me. I know God guides me my life for good. I believe there is a plan for my life. I trust in God and his mercy and his grace. I know that Christ died so I may live again. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Um, great talk, Marcus. Um, what was the rea- How many were in your ward during that summer? Was it, was it in person or was it Zoom? I kind of just asked, what was the reaction like if it was in person? Um, and a lot of people didn't know you if this is a summer short-term experience in the ward. So share with our listeners just how it went down after the talk. So um, I give this talk in person in my YSA ward, and um, this YSA ward was particularly welcoming to me and my friends that recently moved down. Um, so I felt at place and I felt like I could give this talk and, um, I got lots of good feedback that, um, that they needed it and, um, it meant something to them and the spirit was able to teach them something through the words I'd prepared. So were you nervous before you gave the talk? I was nervous because it's not your average talk. I think, I don't know. It's not like the talks I've given in the past for sure. Why did you feel impressed to give this talk? I, I was given the prompt um, to speak on the conference talk by Elder Gong, um, Room in the Inn. And uh, I had talked to this priesthood leader about um, that I, I had come out um, and I came out to him. And I think he gave it to me on purpose. And I felt just like everything lined up. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to give my all for this talk. And it, it just felt right. I was nervous, but I felt like I needed, I needed, this is what I needed to give. It's a great talk. I like talks that, as a Latter-day Saint, that cause me to look inward sometimes and say, what do I need to do mm-hmm. to create more room at the end? prick me a little bit and cause me to reflect. I realize there are talks that make me feel all as well and all the work to do is sort of outside our church and we're kind of at the finish line, but I think it's okay to look inward. And that's what other gongs talk invites us to do. But then you take it to the practical level as a gay Latter-day Saint and kind of talk about, you know, what it's like um, and a little bit about your experience. I love that you talk about um, church can hurt or church can be painful. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to talk more about that? Cause I, I validate that. Uh-huh. Um, I've recognized that church can be painful for committed Latter-day Saints. And I've learned to sort of validate that and honor those feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, when I say that church can be painful, it means to me that it's not always painful. And there's, I want to express that I have so much goodness um, that comes from church, 
But I think just knowing that like, if church is hard, that doesn't mean it's not working and it's not, that it's not bad. But for many people, church can be hard. Sometimes you're having just a hard day and there's no real reason. Sometimes um, you're going through the repentance process and it might sting a little bit that you, when you come back to church or there's lots of different things that you may not feel like you have friends and that's hard. Um, when you, when theoretically, um, it should be where we have our closest friends is in our church and our ward families. So just understanding that if you're, if church is hard, that doesn't mean that your testimony is broken or false, but that you can still have a testimony and be like, you know what? Church was hard today, but my testimony still stands and I know Christ lived and all of this goodness is still real. I love the way you separate those two. It's a sustainable way forward mm-hmm. versus keeping them all together. Um, to, are there specific experiences that have been hard for you that you'd like to share? Not to throw anybody under the bus, but just uh-huh. as a teaching moment for any listeners that want to make sure they have better education to not create a hard experience, especially for an LGBTQ member. Mm-hmm. Um, my experience has been almost all good. So when I give this talk, there isn't any like one person or experience that motivated me to do this. But one time that was hard, um, a little bit more difficult for me to go to church was the um, was uh, just. It was my senior year of high school um, and I had been preparing for a mission um, and that, cause that's what many people do. Um, there's a lot of um, members of the church in Kaysville. So it was just kind of like, Oh, everyone. Um, so it was my time to think about that. Um, going on a mission. It was just hard for me because I was like, I don't know if I need to do this right now. I don't feel like I, I need some more time. It was just hard that I feel like I couldn't tell like my quorum um and i felt like i had to retreat and it was just it was hard for me to connect to my ward family at that time um specifically like people my age and that was that was just hard like i liked going to sacrament meetings were almost always wonderful but it's just sometimes i'm like i didn't feel super like i fit because like some of my friends they were preparing to go on missions right after high school um, in my ward and outside my ward. There's just some, that juxtaposition of like, I'm not sure this is the time I need to decide. Um, and, but interestingly, when I came back to um, my home ward for about six weeks um, at the end of 2020 for Christmas, um, when I first went, it felt much different. And it felt, I was like, you know what, everyone, there are some people that know now and know about my experience and even though not everyone knew i didn't really need that i didn't need everyone to know i just knew like you know what my word family still cares about me and they want me here that's a a good example and just to understand a lot of that was just around cultural expectation of going on a mission and and i'm putting words in your mouth so make sure they're okay and just sort of feeling like the sunday experience was just around am i going on a mission or not and people are sort of seeing me for that and that can be a little triggering for me because i i'm processing that kind of privately and i don't want to feel like i'm 
mm-hmm. less of a faithful Latter-day Saint because I'm not sort of going right after high school like some are mm-hmm. and just kind of being reminded of that versus just feeling love regardless of your path. Is that fair to say that? It is. Um, that was just, it was just also like a lot on my mind because I felt like um, at that point um, during my senior year, my um, coming out and going on a mission were really intertwined. I'm like, how am I going to do both? Can I do both? Like what I'm like, cause honestly I hadn't really considered it, but I, it was always in the back of my mind. Like I want to go on a mission, but I don't know if I, like if, if I'm, if I even can, um, if I tell people, I mean, I told my priesthood leaders, but I wasn't sure. So there was just a lot of concern, um, about that, that it would really took away from like, I should be going because I'm renewing my covenants on Sunday. But it was just kind of, I was just anxious about all these details. And we may come back more to your talk. Um, there's just so many wonderful principles of, of what Elder Gong is teaching of creating room at the end and um, creating a feeling of belonging and that all are needed and wanted, but we have to work harder sometimes for those that have a potentially a marginalized experience to feel like they're welcome. Talk about just your journey to understand your sexual orientation. So you're 19, you're younger than most of my guests, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, just share with our listeners your journey to understand your sexual orientation, what age and who you started to come out to, and just that part of your story. Mm-hmm. So I began to understand that I was different around 12 or 13. Um, just kind of this general, like I was really close to like my friends in my ward. So like we'd like do things like outside of church and then we'd like go to like young men's together. That was like, we were really unified. And then I felt like slowly, like I was like drifting apart just because like there was, I feel like I couldn't connect them as like they could. Um, and so I knew I was different, like just 12 or 13, just like a general, I'm not like other people. I don't know. Um, but then I, um, I began understanding like what LGBT meant and like, uh, what the word gay meant. And I was like, I wonder if that's me. I wonder. And then because in junior high, I was like, I began to, um, have feelings for guys. And, um, because all my friends were like, oh my gosh, this girl's cute. And I was like, sure. I don't know. I didn't know how to respond. Just that um, conversation that you start to have. I wasn't really connecting. So it was this combination of like, maybe I'm, I'm different. I know what LGBTQ means. And uh, maybe, maybe I'll like girls later. Understanding that. So I just, that was the beginning. And then like when I was like around 13 or 14, I was like, I don't know why, but I just, I felt, pr- I felt like I needed to tell my parents. So it was like, I'm working through this. I'm questioning. I don't know what label, like I, I didn't really put a label on it, but I was like, I, I think I like guys as well. I think is what I told them. I was about 13. Both of them took it well and it was really good. Um, and it was good for them to go on a journey with me because rather than like me completely going and like find who I am and then like surprise them. Um, so I had done, I had, kind of been with them um, and coming up to my mom was like really spiritual for me. And like, I just, just to know that like, 
my parents have got my back and that was really important for me to know and like i feel like that's i could move forward in a good space because they had my back and then probably soon after that um i i encountered pornography and that was like i didn't um i ended up looking gay pornography and that was um really hard for me because i was like that's not something people do i'm not a sinner um it really changed like because like i was like oh like i don't know just like innocence like 13 year old that didn't really know and also kazel is quite lds so there wasn't a lot honestly wasn't a lot of bad bad influences around me so i was like oh no no one can know i can't tell people um and then i i told my parents and that's when i told my priesthood leader i'm like i've i need to repent of this watching pornography he's like okay and we've talked through it and i was like well it's gay pornography he's like okay so i come out to my first bishop around 14 um and i um work through that because that's it's not a it's not an easy sin to repent of um it's chronic and i worked through that with that bishop and then like a year later we got a new bishop so i was like oh great i'm gonna come out again so this and then at this time i'm like there's no reason in beating around the bush so i just told him on my first meeting with him i'm gay i'm doing my best to repent of unwanted pornography use and he's like okay i worked with him um and he's been great he's my i don't go go to my home ward anymore but he's still there and um had a great relationship with him through confiding and working through the repentance process with him. Um, and then I worked through that. Um, I mean, it's a continuing battle, but I've made lots of good strides. Um, and I feel like I'm in a good place. And like, I mean, we all need to continue to repent. So, and then that's where I'm at um, in terms of, and then in, having the problem of gay pornography I, that was really what helped me know i'm like you know what i'm not i'm not attracted to women at this point right now so then i was coming i understood myself better because i kind of knew it was like well it's not that i it's not if i haven't developed attractions yet it's just i've dealt developed attractions toward men um and so that helped me know i'm like okay i'm G, I'm gay or bisexual. I don't know what yet, but I moved forward throughout with high school and I dated girls in high school once I turned 16. It was nice because like, oh, I'm not going to date until I'm 16. And that was nice. So I could be like, okay, I'm not going to worry about that until I'm 16. And then I dated. I had some really good, um, really great people that I dated. And that was kind of the, the final thing. I was like, I'm asking these girls in dates. I went on, I didn't say I dated a ton, but I did enough to know that like, there's these awesome girls in my life that are so cool and wonderful and talented and attractive, but I'm not attracted to any of them. So that's when I started using the word gay to describe myself. Um, um, and I hadn't come out to much more people at that point. Um, and then it got to, so understanding dating, I was like, okay, this is really me. And then I'd come out, I come up to my first friend. Um, we drove to school together very regularly my junior year. 
Um, and we just got close because we would talk all the time and spend a lot of, and then I, I came out to her and it, she was the, she was the first friend. My friend Kate was the first friend I came out to. I came to her as bisexual because I was still working through it because I was, I was a little bit afraid like, I don't want to, if there's a, like one, if I'm attracted to like 1% girls, I don't know. Uh, I don't want to like throw that out the window. I want to understand myself more. So I came up to her and that was the first um, friend I'd come out to. And then during my senior year, I had accepted like, yeah, I'll go on dates, but it's, I know who I am. Um, but I'm going to try my best, but also like, I'm not going to force it. So, and then that was when I was like, oh, I have to go on a mission. This is the time we go on a mission to make big decisions, go to university, go on a mission. Um, and then I had told like a friend or two that year. And I had told my older brother that year. Uh, and then I moved to, I had told a friend like right before I went to Utah State um, for fall 2020. And she's like, you told your roommate? And I'm like, no. He's like, is he going to think that's weird? And that sent me in like this big, like, oh no, he's going to think I'm weird. They're all going to think I'm weird. Um, so I was like, the earliest I'll come out is 2021. I will do that then. But then after my first semester of school wasn't super eventful. It was good. It was fine, but it wasn't eventful. So I was just like, I had lots of time to think and listen to podcasts. And that's when, um, I went to this institute class with a friend about Book of Mormon, but, uh, and well, like a month before I went to school. So like August, 2020, I had come out to myself fully as like, I don't think I'm changing. I'm not bisexual, gay. I don't, I'm not going to plan on changing or doing anything, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to be out until I feel ready. But at that point I was like, it's not a phase. It's not, this is, this is me. And now the next thing is if, and when do I tell and come out to people? So I then went to institute class with a friend. Um, and I, um, one of the lessons was just talking about like marginalized people in the book, like, and like study, scripture study. I don't, I'm not sure how it came up in the book of Mormon class. Um, he just presented a bunch of resources like um, for um, like for women and like understanding like the priesthood and just like like women and like black black saints and then LGBTQ saints and um, just a lot of different topics that um, intersected with the church. And at that point, I had um, written in my journal a few times. I'm like, I think I'm going to do this. And I. Um, I wrote out a plan and I was like, okay, it's October. I think coming out days in October. And I looked on the calendar and it was, I thought it was like three weeks away, but it was like four days away. So I just did it. I made the plan and I came out to a good amount of people. I didn't like, I did come out over social media, but not to like everyone. My social media isn't very big. So and just understanding that and also listening with those resources, I was able to get enough ideas and strength and like community. I was like, okay, I can come out and it'll be good for me. And then I came out last October. 
a great story. Mm-hmm. Um, you're so honest and authentic and genuine and so own all of you. It's a credit to you. And I, I appreciate being honest about the pornography. You know, some of the very best people in this church work through that. Um, certainly as a YSA bishop, the very best people in our ward were working through that. And I think pornography, and you understand this, if listeners wonder if that's what caused you to be gay, my feeling is pornography is an insight into your sexual orientation, a window, and not something that changes it. Are you okay with that? Yes. Yeah, I agree with that. So that's, that's my conclusion. And so I, I deeply respect you for being open at those tender years with your parents and your priesthood leaders. It's a credit to you. It's a credit to your maturity. I love you opening up to your parents at age 13 when you didn't know your whole story. You didn't wait to figure out your whole story. And you kind of invited them to walk that road with you. And I don't know what your parents did to create a feeling in you that you knew they could were safe for you to open up about this. Maybe you still wondered how they react, but uh-huh. it's a it's an insight into what we can do as parents so that our kids will open up to us. Cause what a, that to me is a parenting and a child home run that at age 13, when you didn't know your full story, but you felt safe enough to tell them and sort of invite them in. Any thoughts on what your, how you knew your parents could just go there with you? Mm. Part of me, I think I was just, I wasn't super aware at 13. I was like, you know, I'm just going to tell them like, why wouldn't I tell them? Good. Um, and I just kind of took a chance so that that's part of it, but also, um, uh, I have, um, brother with autism. So they, they've gone through the process of understanding that their dreams for their children aren't their children's dreams. So like what my little brother's life they thought would look like, isn't what it is. And I think they've had the similar, I kind of knew that like, they um they loved my brother completely that they loved me completely so that was he almost broke the ice when he was like three and they figured that out about him so i was like um yeah and then also my i've also just had a close relationship with my parents so Um, i love that i mean so many as you know marcus come out in their 20s after their mission Mm -hmm. and sort of the reality of like I've got to sort of hit this head on because my return missionary guy friends are getting married and I don't quite know how to make this work. And I am seeing a trend a little bit to people coming out earlier pre-mission. And um, I think that's a good thing. And I love that your parents have been walking this road with you and talk about, you've had good experiences with these two bishops and you've talked to them about pornography and your sexual orientation of what have they done? That's, you know, what have they done that just, helped you and helped you feel safe talking to them about these tender subjects. Um, and this is kind of giving you, you giving advice to other priesthood leaders that want to be safe. Oh, wow. Um, I think what helped me know that they were safe. Um, I'm also, I think, I think I'm just a pretty transparent person. Maybe I'm not, maybe I am, but I just told them, uh, I think part of it, I felt that they cared about me. I felt like I had a good relationship with them. Um, I felt, I think since I had other people to trust, it was easier for me to trust them. And I think they just, 
I felt like that they cared about me and knew what I was interested in, just like had a good relationship with me. So if I needed to share something that was, um, that was really on my mind that just like coming out to them, um, I think they would take that well. So it's good. I, I, you know, if your priesthood leaders listening or others, I love that to just sort of figuratively wrap their arms around you and just help you feel safe. So you could talk about everything going on in your life. That's what we want as parents and priesthood leaders is for people that we have responsibility for or, or influence over is to have them feel safe. But it's a credit to you. I sense one of your Christ-like attributes or how you're wired is to be pretty honest and authentic and genuine. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's a de-shaming part of your personality is it, keeping all that stuff inside of you can create shame. But sort of, you know, you being your authentic self, that to me, puts you on a, in a better spot emotionally and spiritually. Any thoughts on that? Um, on being honest? Yeah, or just, it seems like there's not much shame in your story. I guess that's probably uh-huh. a thought. There could be so much shame, and it seems like you've kind of stayed off the shame road. Um, maybe not all the time, but just talk about that. Um, I think I was lucky to, I think, understand myself earlier. There wasn't any need to shame myself to not think about it. So I think I was, I was lucky in that I was happened to, I happened to share it with people early. Um, and so that helped me not have a lot of shame. And I think being honest, uh, I did, yeah, just being honest is also a value that I really care about. Um, just telling people, um, it's like when I had like, like in junior high, you have friends and they create drama and I'm like, I just wouldn't like, I didn't like that. I just would like tell people to be like, I mean, I would, I would never want to be talking behind someone's back because I wasn't honest and I had, I'd experienced it a little bit, but I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't care for that. So I just moved on. Um, and I think just, I'm naturally pretty honest. Um, I think my parents are also honest, so I think it's just kind of a family thing almost. And I think just staying off the shame thing, um, is because I didn't really think about it really. Like I didn't reconcile it a ton until I like started looking at pornography and that was where there was a lot of shame. And, um, luckily I had like teachings from my Bishop, like this is going to be like being, um, a part of the rainbow community isn't something that will go away. So that helped me know that like there, there wasn't really a ton I could do to like, like fix that in quotes. Um, so I was able to be like, okay, this is going to stay with me. This isn't like a sin, but I really like had a, a good amount of shame like that. Well, not, there's no such thing as a good amount of shame. Um, but there was a lot of shame around pornography use. And I was like, okay, I know I can't pray the gay way. That's not going to work. So I'm going to try to pray the pornography way, which is a dip. I feel like I was, if I, since I separated that, it was, it was good for me because I mean, I still believe that pornography use is not what I want. So. Um, great job separating those two and having no shame around your sexual orientation and just feeling um, I like, I don't even like too much shame around pornography. I agree with you. It's a sin. I invite everybody not to view pornography, but I, I think that uh, guilt is a thing that's sort of forward looking and positive and say, I can get over this shame. 
is sometimes look backward to remind you of all the mess ups and sort of keeps you in a whirlpool of self-loathing. And so shame to me is one of Satan's greatest tools to sort of keep us locked into our problems versus the atonement that to me is forward looking and sort of like a spiral. You're going up and it may have a setback or two, but your general progress is up. And to me, that's and shame is just sort of like every time you mess up, you're back to square one and everything you've done is for naught. And to me, I think you're doing a good job of just managing this in a positive, healthy way and separating the two mm-hmm. um, in a really, really healthy way. And I think your priestly leaders have helped you do that. Talk about um, why, what, so you, you know, maybe if we'd done this podcast right after high school, you wouldn't be sure on a mission, but now you're going on a mission share with our listeners your process to decide to serve a mission Mm. um unrelated but i feel like i was prompted to come out to people and part of that was uh i need to do that and also i just felt since i'm an honest person like i need to be honest if i go on a mission like i can't be like limiting myself and not bringing my whole self to the mission and of course I'm, i'm not a mission is for being a representative of Jesus Christ, not for doing other things. So that's my goal. Um, but I felt like I needed to work through that first and then work through deciding to go on a mission first. Um, so like right after high school, I wasn't sure about myself. Um, I, uh, there wasn't a lot of closure for me since I graduated during um, COVID. So there was a lot of like uncertainty and I was like, I just wanted to focus on that. And so like going on mission was, um, made me nervous. Um, and I was like, you know what I can, but I wanted to take my time. So I went to university, um, went up to Utah state in the fall and the spring. And I think just living, I came out, um, and then I was able to live out for a time. And I was like, I don't know about a mission yet. Um, but I, I was, I felt good because I gave my time to decide and think about it. And, um, I had been thinking about it like since I was like 17 until like, um, a few months ago when I decided I was going to go on, um, this path to, um, submit mission papers and to get to that point, I had listened to a lot of people's stories, um, lots of different people, like people that were, that came out after their missions. Um, people that um, came out after they became a mission president, even before um, they went on a mission. So just lots of different stories really helped me and know me like, okay, there's a lot of different paths. That's one. So whether I go on a mission um, or not, isn't like crucial. Like I'm not, my salvation's not on the line here. Um, So I was able to be like, okay, and be really be okay with lots of different choices and be okay with the agency that I have. Um, and then just living, um, having a time that I set aside to understand what living out, but also going to church was like, um, so there is that time from October to first of May where I was, um, at, at Utah state in my YSA ward where I was, um, I was out to like my friends and of course, like being out, isn't something like I shout it from the rooftops. Maybe people think I do, but, um, but not everyone in my ward knew. Um, but like that was a, a space that I needed to be in was to live out, um, not date 
and um, go to church. Just try that space. And then that experience really helped me when I went to Provo. And that's during when I was at Provo, I decided like, I think I've, I'm stable and like, I'm ready enough. I'm stable enough. I know enough that I can make this next step to go on a mission and have it be a good experience. So that's when I, and also knowing that like, there isn't a decision that like, um, that is so like bad that like, I can't undo it. And because Christ's atonement covers all of it. And definitely whether I go on a mission or not, is not even close to like the worst. So I didn't need to worry. And also like I could take a semester to think about it. Like I've got time. There isn't me. Yeah, there's an age cutoff, but I'm 19. I've got a good amount of years before I, there's, I can't go on a mission. So I gave myself the time. I gave myself, I think the freedom to be like, I'm not forced to do this. And when I was ready to do it for myself was when I felt good about it. And that's when I moved forward because actually I'd started mission papers my senior year of high school. Like I started them in like, March so like I'd leave in the summer right after high school and it'll all be fine um, but I I felt that I should go later and then I restarted those papers this summer and I'm almost done when do you hope to go um, I hope to go um, at the end of this next December so you'd love to be in the mission field December of 2021 um, yes yes I love your thought process to decide. I love that your logical mind and your spirit-driven heart to sort of figure out your own path. And you said some, pr and I'm thinking of all the closeted or out mm -hmm. um, LGBTQ Latter-day Saints that are listening to this right now, and it's helping them in their decision. But I love that you wanted to be out and sort of sit with that for a period of time in a church setting and just know if that was sustainable for you. And, and I think that's great. And, and I love that you just kind of did this on your own terms. And I just think that's a credit to you and your own personal revelation, your own journey and your own understanding the best path for you forward. Mm -hmm. um, I think you're in a, I'm not your priesthood leader. I'm not your, so I don't I just think you're in a great place to be a successful missionary. Um, as just anecdotal people I've met going out on missions, I think you're just in a great spot. I think you'll be a terrific mission. What do you hope to accomplish on your mission? If we were doing this podcast at the end of 2023, let's say you go in 2021 and you've come back two years later and you're, what do you hope to do on your mission? I hope to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's my goal. And um, I want people to know that like in this gospel, there's a place for them. And just, present because I, I have a, I think I have a simple testimony that like the church is true, that Christ, um, like suffered for our sins and that through, and that he suffered so that we may live again. And that it's a really, that the core of the gospel is so true to me. And I just want to share that core with everyone. I love that. And often, um, people that are really effective at doing that are people that need to take advantage of the atonement in their own lives and understand the healing and 
And I think there's been several parts of the atonement that have helped you. There's the repentance part of the atonement that you can authentically teach because everybody has to learn that. Everybody walks that. But I think there's the atonement that can heal broken hearts. Or, And some of my LGBTQ friends recognize the atonement didn't make them straight, but it kind of healed their broken heart and helped them feel Christ's love. And somehow Christ descended below all things. So he kind of can help me on this unique road. And some then want to take that. And I think that's what you're saying and give that hope to other people. Mm-hmm. Is that fair what I said? Yes. Talk about, will you be out to anybody? So will you, during your mission? Um, I know I will be out to my mission president. Um, I would like to be out to as many other missionaries as possible um, as the time is right. Um, so I think for some missionaries, there are definitely, I won't tell them, but I think if I, all them, like for those that I think are ready to hear my story um, and that I'm close to already, um, I'd want to tell them. And I think this definitely for the missionaries. And I think, I think there will be, there will be investigators and members that I will want to share my, all of my story with, but there will definitely be some that I, I won't need to. And, uh, that like, maybe like my companion might connect better and they might share, he might share his story. And that might be a better experience. And um, it won't be my time to share all of me with all of the people on my mission. Why would you share? Why would you come out to people on your mission? Um, I think um, when I come out, I can tell all of my um, story about my testimony um, because a lot of my testimony about the atonement and my belief is that. That I, I've because I've relied on that so much because I've needed to repent and also um, be comforted, um, knowing that I can repent, but also that I can be comforted when my um, when the outlook of my life seems nothing like I had planned. And I think I would come out to people to share with them, like, yeah, I know, I know how it feels when church can be hard. Um, but I know that so much goodness comes from coming to church and I want you to come to church with me. So I think just being able to share part of some of my trials that that have brought me closer to Christ. Um, And one of them is um, understanding um, the trial that it is to reconcile my sexual orientation, my faith. because there's times where I thought my sexual orientation was the trial itself, but now I do not. Um, and I believe that I can share that with the people I need to, to help them bring some people closer to Christ. It's a great answer. As you heard that answer, none of that was about you. You didn't answer, answer that in the context, I want to feel like the mission loves me, or I want to feel like I belong. I want to feel I'm safe. Your answer to come out was all about other people, Marcus. What a great insight into your heart and your desire to share the gospel and help others. So you, even though you're not quite sure how coming out works, <laughs> and if it were received, your reasons to come out are noble and pure, wanting to bring people the gospel of Jesus Christ. And 
I think you'll have some of your very best moments on your mission around this subject. And I think vulnerability breeds vulnerability and honesty brings honesty. And I think you'll reach some people um, that no one else can reach. And they may be straight, <laughs> but they, and most you teach will be straight. Um, but you'll somehow just be able to connect them with the atonement in a way that will be unique. And listeners, I've mentioned this a couple times. There's a couple missionaries that I'm aware of that are out. One that's out and serving, and he came out to his mission president. His mission president, most mission presidents, you know, over time have generally been fine with the missionary coming out to the mission president. Their general answer until recently has been, don't tell your companion, don't tell anybody. And they're probably protecting him. Mm-hmm. But this mission president said to this missionary, will you please, we're so glad you're here, and I'm so glad you're out as a gay missionary. Will you help us create Zion? He's done Zoom meetings for his whole mission where there's been Q&As. All those missionaries are teaching LGBTQ investigators at times. And uh-huh. this mission president, he looks at him as an answer to prayer that he's come to his mission because he wants to bring people to Christ and recognize this missionary can help all of them do better in this space. And it's a great blessing. And then think how that missionary feels if he's being looked at it that way. And I hope your mission president does that with you or is guided to use you um, to help the whole mission go to a level that they weren't able to go to without a gay missionary in their mission. Another missionary that I'm aware of that I write and I apologize, listeners, if you're a regular listener, you've heard these stories, but he's the first guy, I think, in the church that came out as a missionary on Facebook. Mm. And so he just came out as gay on a Facebook post and as a full-time missionary. And I read through those comments, and I just love the comments. They were all so supportive. And then his own companion, and I thought, you know, what's his own companion going to say? And he says, I just love you, Elder. And this, this makes us, there's unity and diversity, and this complements us in a way that makes our companionship stronger. And we can reach more people because of the beautiful differences that God has blessed each of us with. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but, and to be honest, listeners, I go back to my day of how I would have handled a gay missionary, and I just repent for what I would have done. And maybe what I was taught to do if I had a gay companion and just recognize that we're creating Zion. But it's partly because of great people, brave people like you, Marcus, that are just willing to, to own all of this about you and see the, you the way I think our heavenly parents and then bravely serve a mission. You are helping Elder Gong's talk become reality. And I, there's a lot of people that are rooting for you. You're a trailblazer. There's not many that are doing what you're doing. And there's still some fear. I mean, there's education kind of eliminates fear. Meeting people like you eliminates fear. Um, I, I just think you're going to have some wonderful experiences and you're going to help a lot of people better understand how to create belonging in this space. And there's going to be people that feel that join our church and feel the love of our Savior because of your service. Any, I kind of went off there. Anything you want to, anything you want to say about what I said, or any disagreements or feelings about that? No disagreements. Um, I part of me is like, yeah, I'm able to trailblaze, trailblaze, but there are a lot of people that have gone before me. 
um, like the missionary that you said, and that there's a lot of people that have gone before me that have helped me, that even like not related to all of the things, but like, like my word family and my friends have just been really, and like my, also like my immediate family have all been really good to me. Um, and because they've been good to me, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm doing well. And I feel like I can go on a mission is because I've had so much good support from so many different places. And it's not like, it's not all me. There's a lot. I've been helped a lot. So, and then I'm, I've received lots and I've asked for that help. Other things you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, I think that it's important to find people that like have your back because I think if I didn't have my parents that like that had my back from day one, I, I don't think I'd be in this room talking. I think I'd be in a different place. Maybe I'd be like fine, but I don't think it would be as, I wouldn't be able to see all the good I've seen if it weren't for people that have had my back. And I hope that, yeah, even though like not everyone's going to have a good experience their first time, I hope that they can find a person that they can trust and that does have their back so that when, um, when you doubt your decisions that you've been making or feel like you need to take a different path that they support you regardless. Um, so you have people in your corner from day one. I sometimes share these quotes, listeners. Um, this is kind of you a little bit. Uh, Marcus, a minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about which he speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led of the desert by someone who's never been there. And I love that's we're all the wounded healer a little bit. Um, but I think that will particularly be part of your effectiveness as a missionary is you just kind of know some tough deserts and you've had to know on a spiritual level and using the atonement and just emotional skills you've developed and resiliency um, to navigate that. And I think that will really help you on your mission. I think you're in a place that I think allows you to reach more people because your road has just been choppier, not because of anything you've done, just it's choppier being a gay Latter-day Saint than a straight Latter-day Saint, mm -hmm. as you know, preparing for your mission. And you've had to go a little deeper on the, on the complexities within the church and, and create just additional tools that you can, you've had to develop within yourself that now allow you to share those with others. There may be members that you visit that are kind of working through complicated issues that are stepped away from the church or thinking of stepping away from the church, that you'll have some added skills. The other day I was even thinking that the skills sometimes to bring people in the church and the things we teach are maybe sometimes different than the things we use to keep people in the church that are struggling. It may be some different tools, and you have both of those, um, especially with that talk you gave that creates just a, an understanding. I think our restored doctrine brings people in the church, um, the Book of Mormon, the stuff that's unique that came through the prophet Joseph Smith, the atonement. But sometimes to keep people in the church, they need some additional skills to work through the complicated sometimes issues that you did such a good job. Church can hurt sometimes. And, um, 
And so I think some, as they come into the church, need different skills to kind of navigate that. And I think you have an ability to do both of those. You may help your companions as they're working through complicated things for the first time. I would guess you become a very safe missionary in your mission as people get to know you. There were always, back in my day, you know, we kind of had some go-to missionaries. We could obviously go to the mission president or Heavenly Father, but sometimes we had missionaries that we just kind of knew could handle complexity, <laughs> um, whether it was doctrinal complexity or whatever, and they just became mentors to me. I still remember their names, and I would guess as people become familiar with you that you will be that kind of a missionary. You have a level of maturity that's beyond your 19 years. Um, so that's all I've got. Do you have any more thoughts you want to share with our listeners? Um, I think the only thought I'd share is just like, ask for help if you need it. Like, and because I've been, I've been helped so much. I say in my talk, one part, like I've been given much help. So like I need, I need a minister as well. Um, because I feel like we all need to ask for help. And I think like, I wouldn't be here if I hadn't asked for the help that I needed. And I was able to ask for help from like, my family and my priesthood leaders and my friends and just um, as each of them did what like they needed, they helped me like grow and be the person I am today. So thanks y'all. Well, Marcus Hayden, you have a great life ahead of you. You have a great mission ahead of you. You have a great life ahead of you. Um, totally can see you excelling in biochem research and teaching, but you're going to bless a lot of people in your life. And, our church and our world is a better place with you here. And, you know, you're 19. And one of the things that's, I don't want to, I don't have any research, but I just sense that our younger LGBTQ members are not having to spend decades in, in shame and self-loathing in the closet and are able to come out earlier. And David Archuleta gives you air cover and Ben Chilotti and Charlie Bird. And there's just more role models of, LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, and they're talking about this in a way that there's no shame, and this is how God created me, and I own all of this about me, and I'm on the same moral footing as straight Latter-day Saints, and I think some of that is, I just look at where you are at 19, and you haven't, you're not sitting here at 29 saying it took me 10 years to get to where I am today, you're here at 19, from 13 when you started talking about this to 19 when you are now. And instead of two decades, it's six years. And where you are is where I think a lot of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints that are coming out in their teens are, are at right now are going to be. And to me, that's a great improvement in our society and allows people to feel the atonement, feel God's love, and make their way forward in a very emotionally healthy and spiritually healthy way. So anyway, Marcus Hayden. My friend and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.